Welcome to episode six of the So What series. This is Brendan Flanagan. This series is designed to launch our website at brendanflanagan.com. And in it, you'll find penetrating biblical questions normally withheld from polite company. Today we're asking, what about Jesus, or who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ has captured the world's imagination since his birth, but he's existed before the beginning of time. And while most historians agree he lived as a man, few agree on who he was as a person. In this episode of So What?, we're going to trust in the integrity of the Bible, and we're going to attempt to understand the full person of Jesus Christ using his words and the words of his apostles, written under the guidance, direction, leadership, and power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us for episode 6 of the So What series. Today we're asking, what about Jesus, or who is Jesus Christ? And I think to lay the groundwork of answering this question, it would be helpful to go to a book written by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And in it he writes this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So those are the words of C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. And I think they're really quite honest. It's a genuine intellectual reflection about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is not allowing us to call him a great moral teacher. We really need to come to the conclusion, either he is, in fact, God, the Son of God, or he is crazy. And so as we continue to study who Jesus Christ is, and we're going to go to the Scriptures now and look specifically at the Gospel of John, that's really what we need to be weighing in our mind. We can't think, yeah, he's a really good guy, and that's kind of where we're going to go from there. No, we need to realize that he's either insane or, in fact, what he's saying is true. And this should really grab our hearts. And this is really what the person of Jesus Christ is designed to do. This is who he is. He's coming to make a great claim that he is the Son of God. And so that's what we need to give him credit for. We're not looking to whitewash his statements. He is presenting himself as a Son of God. And I think really the best way, the best place to look and understand who Jesus Christ is as the person is to go to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written around 90 A.D., and this is before John's exile to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. He intended his Gospel to serve as a supplement to the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These Gospels were written around 40 to 60 A.D. and circulated around the growing church. And while they're called synoptic or narrative Gospels, they focus on the word working and sayings of Jesus Christ from these unique perspectives of the Gospel writers 
The Gospel of John takes a different tact. It's often called a theological or spiritual gospel. And that's really what he's doing. And we see this already beginning in the first 18 verses of his first chapter. He's making implicitly theological statements which really define who Jesus Christ is as God and who he is as man. And these are really the two necessary elements to understand his person and to see if he actually will or can satisfy what God desires, even fulfill the prophecy. We're going to see John develop who Jesus Christ is as God in the first verse of the first chapter of his gospel. We're going to see this now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are three important statements. And they really reflect who Jesus Christ is as a divine person in the Godhead. He pre-exists time. We know Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. We read this in John chapter 1, verse 14. So the Word made flesh pre-exists time. Furthermore, he's with God. This is the coexistence of Jesus Christ. He exists with God. This is divine perspective. For we know that no man has seen God at any time, but Christ exists with God. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, Christ is at the bosom of the Father. This is a perspective allowed only to divinity. And, of course, Christ exists in this way. And finally, the Word was God. Jesus Christ, in and of himself, is God. He is not part of God. He is a person in the Godhead. And that's what John must establish. This is further emphasized in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, where Christ says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Nothing will come before him. Nothing will come after him. And we see that all things came into being through him. Christ is the creator. Nothing exists outside of his dominion or sovereignty. And we already see that concept of the Trinity developing. Now, this will be first articulated by the church father Tertullian and later ratified by the Council of Nicaea in 325. This will be considered orthodox doctrine. This came out against one that was claiming that Jesus was created. He was a creature. But the Council of Nicaea formed to combat this heresy and ultimately to undergird the concept of Trinity, which we see throughout the Scriptures. So we see Christ as divine. He pre-exists time, coexists with the Father, and self-exists as God. But we can't stop there. We go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, where we read this. He, Jesus Christ, existed in the form of God, yet he did not regard equality with a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So Jesus was in the courts of heaven. And he had all the responsibilities and all the privileges due to God. Yet he emptied himself of his heavenly transcendent glory and took on the form of a bondservant, or literally translated slave. He departed the courts of heaven to live in this world and submit himself to the form of a slave by taking on our flesh. And these are the very bonds of Satan which hold us in a fallen world. And in these chains which we rage against daily and cause us to sin, Christ administered the very glory of God. He did not fall to the sin of this world, but instead shone forth the grace, truth, love, mercy, patience, long-suffering of God. We read this expressed in another way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. Christ is the image of the invisible God. 
Christ is the complete and full picture of God in the flesh. That's who Christ is. All things were created through him. Nothing was created apart from him. But ultimately, as he came to earth and resided in the flesh, we saw the invisible God. He was revealed in Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace of God was revealed. The glory upon glory of God was shown. And this is important. These are the two things that we need to hold in our hand as we look at Christ, who he is, a madman or God. He must be divine, and he must be a man. And we say this is crazy, and this is irreconcilable, but this is what the Bible calls for. This is what the prophecy since the beginning must be. There's two reasons why Christ needs to exist as God and as man. For God's plan of salvation depends both upon Christ's divinity and his humanity. The two must exist together in one person to fulfill God's purpose of restoring his relationship with men and women. And we see this expressed in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Christ has reconciled all things to the Father. And this is important. Only the divine Christ can withstand God's judgment. For God's anger continually burns over the unrighteousness of the world. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That is what the vat of God's anger burns against, the unrighteousness of men, which we see existed since the fall of Adam and exists till now, and God's anger continues to burn. Therefore, a finite being could never permanently satisfy God's infinite wrath. Jesus must exist as God, for only his divinity can appropriately and permanently satisfy God's unending wrath and perfect judgment. And let's remember this, the vat of God's indignation, which is cast over our heads, was due to be poured out on us. But God instead poured it out on Jesus Christ on the cross at Golgotha. Christ cried out, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on his beloved Son and judged him according to the sins of the beloved. Our sins, those that God chose since the beginning of time to be in a relationship with him, they have been poured out on Jesus Christ and he received them in his submission to the Father. Christ received the punishment for our unrighteousness. Yet Christ could not completely quench God's wrath with his divinity. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, we read this. And according to the law, one may say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Without Christ existing as a man and shedding his blood on the cross, and that's how he made peace with God, that's how he reconciled us to the Father, Without the shedding of blood, righteous judgment could not be satisfied. And that's really what Christ is, his divinity and his humanity. They must exist together in one person to satisfy God's providential plan of reconciliation with men and women. He must die as a man. He must live as God. He must shed his blood. And he must conquer sin for us to be reconciled to the Father. I hope this episode renewed your understanding or interest in Jesus Christ, for in Him are found all the riches of the Father. You can listen to this podcast and others like it at brendanflanagan.com. Until next time, may you take courage in Christ.